All right, let's go ahead and kick this off. Welcome to the December 6th meeting of the Joint Board of Supervisors, School Board Committee meeting. Uh, Co-chair Mr. Higgins is running just a tad bit late, so I'm going to kick it off and then turn it to uh, Co-chair uh, Maloney here in a second. Um, before we go to Co-chair's uh, co report, we will take public input. We have one speaker signed up. That speaker is Jerry Hill. Jerry, are you here? You'd come up to the uh, microphone and you have two and a half minutes. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this evening. I also want to thank you for approving an expansion of our Luckett's Elementary School. For the latest CIP, a funding for a new Luckett's Elementary School has been moved from 2020 to 2033 with a revised estimated cost to the county of $52 million. This is a delay of 12 years from the board's original promise date of a new school, as well as an increase in $14 million in taxpayer dollars. As you know, Luckett's is growing extremely fast and has, a, has the most diverse population in the wealthiest U.S. county. Many families continue to locate to Luckett's due to the surroundings, uh, the quality of the educational um, system, as well as our promise for a new elementary facility in 2020. With this explosive growth, uh, we've had a significant impact on Route 15 with over 35,000 cars traversing this thoroughfare um, daily. In fact, coupled with our growth, uh, student population has caused significant safety issues based on the design of the current vehicular entrance and exit, as well as the capacity of the school. Vehicles are lined up and down Route 15 in Luckett's every morning and afternoon while commu uh, commuters pass yards from the elementary school entrance. Considering the recent approval to expand our school using the board's future growth projections, our elementary school population will be over occupancy by 2020. This uh, is a conservative estimate, as you know. There are over 200 unaccounted homes planned to be constructed over the next few years, and very soon our community will be in the same situation we've been in for the past 10 years. We'll be out of room with a further dilapidated facility requiring even more maintenance and repair. We will not have the space required to provide an adequate education to our children with a facility that's 50 years old, having an even larger number of ADA violations compared to present day. These ADA infractions can be a, uh, have a significant association with legal and fiscal liability to this board, uh, and the uh, exposure should provide certain incentives to this body to take action in the construction of a new school as soon as possible. Examples of this is the HVAC fire this past summer, um, our ELL classroom not uh, being uh, temperature controlled as well as uh, um, new schools having ADA compliant uh, regulations and yet can be renovated. So um, I ask <clears throat> that the board revise its current estimates as we believe it's far less considering they have land purchased there. Um, and also I'd like to uh, ask that they uh, provide uh, our kids with an adequate education which is their basic right. Um, we're not talking about turf fields, press boxes, sports equipment or the renovation of a new school. So I appreciate your consideration, um, the safety of our children, as well as some of the code violations that I know you'll take that, care of. Thank you. Grade. Thank you. Mr. Thank you. Oh. All right. With that, I'll turn it over to the co-chair's report. We'll start with Ms. Maloney. And Mr. Higgins is here and can take back the airplane. So, Ms. Maloney, welcome. Can bring up my notes here. Uh, thank you. Uh, the school board... Uh, recently attended the Virginia School Board Association Conference. Uh, I believe about six of our members attended to that and uh, worked on passing a legislative platform for the VSBA. Uh, we also passed our own state legislative platform and held a legislative breakfast with our uh, delegates, the, some of the delegates-elect, uh, the senators, and uh, we also had a representative from uh, Congresswoman Comstock's office. Uh, this weekend, we'll be honoring our top performing seniors with the Loudoun Education Foundation's Excellence in Education Banquet. And currently, the school board is in the midst of the Goshen Post Elementary School attendance zone process. Um, Goshen Post is located uh, in the same area as John Champ High School, and we'll be deciding on those attendance zones next Tuesday. So that's our report. Thank you all. Um, 
briefly, uh, Mr. Bone, I don't know how far you got into to this. Or to you providing your co-chair's report. Okay, thank you, that's what I thought. Um, appreciate everybody being here today. Uh, with regards to the things I'd like to talk about for a minute, um, the board will be discussing our uh, finance, in finance committee will be discussing fund balance coming up here on Tuesday, December 12th, um, and be looking at some of the projects, specifically uh, um, Luckett's Elementary School and seeing how we could fund that perhaps. Also, the full board will be getting into that in January. Uh, last night, as uh, some of you will be aware, that uh, a decision was made uh, between the two boards to purchase the Tiller property for um, the Ashburn Elementary School, the need that you all have. And uh, finally, um, as we approach the holidays, I would wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and look forward to uh, a good budget season coming up. So with that, we can move into the first item on the agenda, I believe, which is student generation. Is that correct? I got you. Yeah, I heard she was. She was okay. So that'd be great. Thank you. Yes. So good evening. Uh, my name is Beth Holcomeyer. I'm with the Department of Management and Budget, sitting in for Aaron McClellan tonight. And with me is Kevin Lewis, the Assistant Superintendent for Support Services for the schools. So we'll go through a presentation that's been provided a few times before. I'm not sure I remember all the times. So I think it's Finance Committee for the schools, probably Finance for the board, and also to the Fiscal Impact Committee. So most of the slides here are the same. There are a few slides that have been added that reflect the new uh, student generation rates that the board adopted as part of the Fiscal Impact Committee guidelines in um, November. So again, the purpose, we'll talk about the student generation rate methodologies um, and how this relates both to what the schools need and what the county does with the capital intensity factor. Okay, so on the county side, um, as I mentioned, it is used in the capital intensity factor, so that is a guideline for future capital needs. It's used to determine the school capital costs and anticipated proper contributions to mitigate those costs. And it's not directly used to determine the timing or the need for the school facilities that appear in the CIP. Those are provided directly by the schools. So it's a different viewpoint. This is really a long-term viewpoint. Okay, so here's a diagram that shows all the different things that go into uh, capital facilities planning, including that CIF factor to help uh, develop some uh, funds to pay for the facilities. The methodology is pretty simple. The rate is the students divided by new households. So a quick definition in terms, students are just what you would expect. They're any student in the county. Uh, so currently we um, consider those uh, students, even if they're not in LCPS, it's just a general uh, term that are re residing in the county. In the past, we did have some different ways of looking at this. So then a housing unit is either a vacant or an occupied residents. So the, on the county side, we then say, well, what is the household? So those are only the occupied housing units. So when we talk about student generation rates on the county side, we're talking about rates per household. So another thing about what the county does is since we're really focused on future development, we're looking at um, new households. So what are the new housing units? Again, households is housing units, but not the ones that are vacant. So you subtract out the vacant ones. The capital intensity factor um, provides average costs. And again, the county's focus is on the new housing unit, units that are associated with residential rezonings because this is feeding into the CIF and that's the county's sole use. 
So this slide gives you a sense of the formula. So of course, there are facilities that the county needs as well as the schools. So the county CIF, that portion is the household size. So all the people that are in those occupied units times the facility cost per person for the county facilities. The school CIF is the student generation rate. So the students that would be in those facilities times the capital cost per student. And then those two sides are added together. So the county costs plus the school cost or the school CIF equals the total CIF. So here you have an illustration of the CIF by unit type. So this is a way that, and this is a little dated because this is from the same presentations that have happened before the board adopted um, the most recent. I guess I could clarify that. The household sizes um, and student generation rates are from the old CIF, but of course you haven't adopted a new CIF yet. That's moving through the county's process and it's before the FIC right now. So this shows the different unit types and the different household sizes. So you have different resulting CIFs for the county facilities. Then here's the same thing, but using student generation rates. So the different number of students per unit and or per household, the capital cost per student, multiply those across and that gets you the school CIF. Then this shows a slide that adds the two together, the county column, the school co column, and the total CIF established in 2014. So for the county's purpose, we wanna make sure that we're capturing differences in costs across the county. So you can imagine that land values, for instance, are different um, out to the western portions of the county versus further to the east. So we have some groupings that capture um, differences like that so that it's not the CIF that's applied. The same CIF would not be applied everywhere. So in terms of review, I mentioned that the Fiscal Impact Committee is currently reviewing the next CIF before that comes to the board. Um, it is anticipated to come to the board in early 2018. And the goal is to update this fairly frequently so that the CIF stays in line with true costs. So good evening. What I'm gonna do is, is go through um, the slides that are related to the school student generation factor. And one of our tasks in this, uh, this exercise was to try to demonstrate the differences between the two student generation factors from the schools and the county, uh, explain why they're different and why they should be different and um, you know, how we come about those. So this slide is essentially, you'll see there that we're referencing the student generation factor as a tool that is used in our projection. Uh, it is not a mathematical calculation, so we have um, several different scenarios based on our uh, student growth and our cohort survival method process that we go and, and take what schools generate from one year to the next and compare those. So we use those as ratios and the student generation factor is one of the factors that's used to help choose which scenario we use. Uh, it is done every year uh, on, an on an annual basis, uh, but again, it's not a mathematical formula where we do our projections and then add students from that. It is one of the scenarios we used to pick the scenario. This slide is simply, uh, you can see there is the student enrollment projections. You can see there's a number of things that go into that. Uh, the light blue is the student generation factor that we talked about. And I will share that, you know, about three o'clock there you'll see school attendance zones. One of the things to call attention to that is every time we do a change in the school attendance zone, it does change the history of that area, which makes the, the uh, projection process a little bit more complicated. So there's a lot of things that go into to the projections. Uh, this slide illustrates the many th facets that go into the capital improvement program. We're gonna have a presentation in a little bit about that. Uh, the student enrollment projections are just one of those items that fit into how we, how we determine the, um, uh, not only the projections, but then the, the number of schools that we need in the future and where they're placed and, and what year they're, they're placed for planning purposes. So I do want to point out that we, we divide the, the county up into two major utility service areas, those with public utilities and those without. We find that the, the ones that with public utilities do generate more students per household, so we have divided those over time with some history and keeping track of what our uh, student generation is. 
this slide is a, is a pretty simple depiction of where we have that. The light green is where we have the areas without utilities. The dark green is the area with utilities. The hashed areas are the towns. Uh, typically, they have utilities, as you know. Um, and so those are the areas that those different um, generation factors would be applied in. And this is simply the, uh, the different the areas that we have. As you know, our counties are, are we've divided the county up a little bit different to those, those different categories, those uh, planning districts. So term-wise, a housing unit for us, it is any residential unit that is either vacant or occupied, which is a little different. The county uses a vacancy rate, uh, vacancy rate and, and we do not. Uh, and it's, uh, we use all the houses in contrast to the slide you saw a few minutes ago where uh, the county uses new houses that are built within the last 10 years. We use all of the houses. Um, and then we also, a, a resident student, that, that term is, you know, we, we take the students, we have all of our students are located by GIS, so we know exactly where they live. And so we, each student is counted in the area that they reside in. In some cases, you may know that they don't go to the school within the area. They may have a special exception or special permission and go to a different school. But we count them originally from where they're located. Um, <clears throat> here's just another um, description of what, where we have the, the different types of houses. We have single-family detached, single-family attached, multifamily, uh, very similar to the county. And again, our students are... Our student generation factor is determined by taking the actual students divided by the housing units, uh, and then by the and then take those by each housing type. And you know we apply the student generation factor to any approved unbuilt units, either rezoned or by right. And so we, we're trying to take into account each of those grade level ratio distributions. Uh, this is a slide that you will see. And it's also included in your CIP. Uh, there's, as an example, if you look on page 131, you'll see the example of the planning districts for Ashburn. And so there's one of these slides in each of the uh, districts in the CIP, and it takes each of the types of residential units, single-family, detached, attached, multifamily, and then projects out from that how many of the uh, potential students we would get from each of those areas. And then the far column on the far right tells you at this point in time the issue of that particular CIP what the percentage of those housing units that has actually been built or has been addressed where permits are pulled. So that'll help you understand how many of those students we're already accounting for in our CIP and how many there are on the future. So the next few slides are ones that are new to this presentation because they're showing you the student generation rates that the board has just adopted based on uh, the work the Fiscal Impact Committee did this year and appear in the 2017 Fiscal Impact Committee guidelines. There's going to be one graph per uh, rate, and what they show is the basis for the rate that's adopted. So here's the single-family detached suburban product type. You can see it's pretty stable in terms of its rate, so um, over time. So the rate that was recommended is 1.07. Here's single-family detached rural. Um, again, it's stable. So an average was used, and that resulted in 0 0.92. All right, so then when you get to townhouses, um, so again, these are new townhouses built within the last 10 years for each of these data points. You can see that. Um, the student generation rates have really been going up. So the um, adopted rate is actually a little higher than what you see uh, through 2016 based on an upward trend, and it's looking at the linear trend into the future. Then when we go to multifamily, uh, you can see there is really no discernible trend here. So uh, the choice was to keep the student generation rate at the same rate it's been in the past. Then multifamily stacked, this is um, a product type that it has some characteristics of a townhome in a sense. So if you've heard of something like two over twos, that would be one of your multifamily stacked uh, product types. So uh, it is also showing an upward trend just like townhouses and um, similarly the rate is a little bit higher than what you see as the ending rate for 2016. So then this slide provides a present uh, comparison rather across um, LCPS 
and the county in 2013, LCPS and the county in 2017. So keep in mind there are differences because of the methodolo methodological differences and the needs for the data. You can see that um, for LCPS and the county, you, know, you see like SFD rates going up. You see um, SFA rates going up, et cetera. Then the data process and process differences, here you've got a column for each. So the schools are using the registered students. The County of Loudoun is, um, and actually this is probably could be updated a little bit, but the county is using also um, data from the schools, but increasing it a little bit to represent all children um, that would be students. The LCPS is using all housing units, whereas the county's using households. Um, the schools, again, since it's all housing units, they don't deal with the vacancy rate to get there. Um, the schools include units under construction. The county's just looking at units already constructed to get its rates. Um, the cycles are different. The viewpoint in terms of the length of time to forecast or to be prepared for is different. Uh, and then um, geographically, both entities use some variation across the county, but just use different sources. Okay, so then here's the similarities. Um, the both use LMIS, tax assessment data, building permit data, and GIS data. And then moving forward, um, also GIS data. So this is one place that um, the entities are already collaborating and that's reflected in the, uh, C the FIC and board adopted rates and um, the housing data. Right, this one is a comparison of how well does the CIF approach work when you're trying to think about the capacity that's going to be added? So it seems to calculate out pretty well. You know, it's a little higher than the increase in school capacity, but again, the county's rates for the CIF are meant to be a little bit higher. So here's the conclusion. Again, LCPS has some methodological differences, such as housing units versus on the LCPS side, county, new households. And LCPS is looking to project student enrollment in the short term, whereas the county is looking to mitigate capital costs over the long term. Thank you. Um, this is, this is good information. I'm going to have some dumb questions, though, um, to try and uh, understand this. When these, let's go to your slide um, that compares student generation rates over the years, county versus um, LCPS. And there's your rates, 77, 86, 80, 107. Um, yeah, I wish I had a number on it. I tell you, I'm looking at it, but I don't know. There you go, right there. How are these rates applied for each year they're going to make your projection? How are these rates applied each year? And I'm, I'm asking both the, the county and the, uh, the school system. Yeah. So on the county side, since there's something that are used as a guide for rezonings, they're applied for the rezonings that are coming through at that time as a guide to um, possible proper contributions. So we calculate that, and we're really we're looking at the future. Um, That's right. Okay. Go ahead, Kevin. So for the schools, we use the generation, the student generation rate, to predict how many students may come out of a particular um, by right or um, approved unbuilt subdivision or development. So we know that there may be a thousand houses coming in this thing. So those are predicted in those and applied to that. Uh, they are not, as I said when I first started, they are not 
mathematically just added to the projections. So as we look at the projections and use the, um, the cohort survival method, which means first grade was one size this year, and then that same group of children moved to second grade and they gained this amount of percentage, we develop a series of ratios that say, um, in general, that ratio of, of growth of that cohort increased by this much, and there are seven different scenarios, and then we use these uh, students that poss possibly will be generated over time as, as a guide or an aid to help us choose a scenario. So it is not a, a mathematical calculation where you take this and add it to. So it is part of the that, scenario. That's that, exactly what I'm trying to figure out is how right. you apply it each year to come up with the projections that you make. And I'm not picking on your projections. I mean, what we seem to have had lately is not total numbers of predictions, it's being able to, to predict where they are in, in different regions or whatever. But so I'm trying to, that's, you were getting at what I'm trying to get at. Yes, sir. So we know in the one of the slides it showed uh, this different residential areas like the, the geographical districts where show there may be 15 uh, developments that we're watching and certain some of them have 0% address, which means zero houses have been built. Some of them are 50%. So we're trying to gauge what that rate of growth will be, what that rate of development will be, and then know how many students will be generated from that growth, knowing that we don't know exactly when the houses will be built. So those are what we, we use that when we consider the different cohort survival ratios. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty complicated process, but it's not a simple but you all method. follow, at least you used to follow permits. When permits were pulled, you, you, you followed those, the school system did, to know that, okay, that house, if permits pulled, that house is going up and somebody's going to be living in it. Yes, sir. We still follow that. That's what the, the column that was in that one slide that showed how many of the houses have been addressed. We know that either they're already being resided in or the permits have been pulled. And that was the difference in the slide. So we're counting those where the county staff is counting houses that have already been built. We're counting those that are under construction as well to help us choose which of the scenarios we'll use for the projection. But in essence, do you take these numbers and multiply them by the number of houses and the number of new houses that are coming online with permits or some something close to that? We, we definitely do that to determine how many students will come out of that development. But when it comes to the projections, it's not a mathematical direct application of that number. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, one of the factors we use to consider what the scenario would be. See, what, I, what I'm trying to sort of work that back to in my mind is if you go back to, and I hate to do this to you, on the number earlier slide we were talking about uh, 2014 CIF county facilities by unit, single family uh, attached, single family um, detached, and it's looking at the average household size which talks about 3.78 in single family detached. So I'm looking at, okay, 3.78, that's gotta be about two students and that, that that house is gonna generate based on that number and then how that matches up with what your projections are each year. And um, I, don't know that, I don't know that you're taking that into account, but I think once upon a time they did take that into account because I remember talking to Sam about that years ago. And we're still doing it the same way. Those, those values are considered, uh, but again, it's not a mathematical, we don't add that number to that. Um, and you know, the household size was one of the things that was in the, the county side of projection. And remember that we're both using now um, GIS located um, information so we know exactly where the existing students are and that's some of the differences between the situation. That helps us know exactly how many students we have and where they live and then as the developments uh, progress and build more of the residents, then we keep track of those and try to project how many of those will come online at a certain time. Uh, my last question, and I'll open it up. Um, I know we don't do this, and we haven't for a while, but during the school census, uh, did we find, and I know bigger the county gets a bigger headache, that is, but once upon a time, I mean, it literally went almost door to door with that census. Did we find that those numbers were more accurate then than they are now, because that was that was going back and looking at what was in each household. Or, or does anybody know or have had the opportunity to look at it? 2008 was the last census that we do, and so now we're relying on the information in GIS that, that tells us exactly how many students we have and how many are in each house and exactly what their address is. So that's all been um, uh, replaced by technology that, that has uh, exact information on it. And which one works better as far as the projections or no difference, marginal? 
I, I don't know that we have. I don't know that one's any better than the other, and I don't know. We we haven't done that comparison. Be interesting to see. Uh, anybody else have any questions? Yes, Eric. Thank you. <clears throat> um, I have so this first question is two part. <laughs> is it okay? Go ahead. <laughs> so, how long have have our projection processes been utilized? The ones described here. So it's two part question, county side and then LCPS. You're referring to the, the actual student projection process. Correct. Uh, as far as I know, it's probably been um, about 20 years where the same philosophical approach has been done. There have been improvements and uh, adjustments along the way, and those are adjusted every single year. Uh, as you know, we're currently um, running a side-by-side -side comparison now on a software that may um, have a different approach or even a different answer, and we'll compare those in the next couple of years as we do those test runs. And then on the county side. And so the county's been developing student generation rates uh, for quite some time, probably since the 90s. Um, in terms of the data that's been available to do that, you know, through tw 2008, every three years, there was a school census. So then after that, there was a need to determine ways to do calculations to meet these two needs. Okay. And I do have a couple more questions, if that's okay. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that, that the differences are highlighted here, and I appreciate you, know, you all walking us through your processes. But even when the differences are highlighted in terms of, you know, Loudoun County Public Schools looks at only registered students where the county looks at census estimates. Um, that's a question. Housing units, all for LCPS, housing households new uh, on the county side. And so when I look at the, the differences, it just creates, it generates a lot of questions for me. I won't go into each and every one of them or ask you to answer those questions right now. But I see no reason why we couldn't align these processes. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I'm still not clear on why we're not doing things the same way. We're still trying to get to the exact same number and, and figure out how many students we're going to have in, in, in the future. Um, from an efficiency standpoint, I still believe, and I've said this for two years, that it makes sense to streamline processes. However, um, what I'd be interested to see, considering we're continuing to do business the way we've always done business for the past 20 to 30 years, um, with tweaks here and there, um, how accurate our projections are. So what I'd like to see from both the county side and, and LCPS side are what our forecasts have been for the past 20 years versus actual enrollment for the past 20 years and the differences. And then that way we can see who's more accurate. And um, we can begin to dial in on which processes is more accurate. Mr. Kenneth, if I may, part of the problem I think here is that we're actually not measuring the same thing, which has led to this. And uh, Mr. Bona would like to. Yeah, uh, I do chair the Fiscal Impact Committee. And we're meeting again tomorrow night. Uh, we meet regularly, almost weekly. We have two very different purposes for these numbers. We're not after the same numbers. And I think that's what you've got to understand. And that's why these differences are in here. The county's purpose with the numbers are not to know how many schools to build for the next one or two or five years. That's your purpose, okay? Our purpose is to get, our end game is the capital intensity factor for the next 30 years. Now what is the capital intensity factor? It is the amount developers pay the county per unit based on the housing type for an upzoning above the base entitlement. So if you're entitled to 1,000 houses by right on your property and you want 2,000 houses, and you get a rezoning, then you pay the capital intensity factor on the delta of the additional 1,000 houses. Now, what does that delta you're paying cover? It's not just schools. It's everything capital. It's fire rescue stations. It's libraries. It's share stations. It's the landfill. I mean, I can go down the list. Tomorrow night, we've done all our work in fiscal impact committee for this round, except the, the capital intensity fees, and that's what we met on last week and what we're meeting on tomorrow night. What I can tell you is there's five planning areas over which we calculate those fees. There's ten sub-planning areas, but we do the fees by five areas. Four of the five, 
The recommendations are for the CIF, the capital intensity factor, to go up substantially. But in one, which is the eastern area, which includes Ashburn, Sterling, places like that, it's actually predicted to go down substantially. So we are calculating these numbers for entirely, entirely different reasons over the schools in what I would call a short-term perspective and the county in a very long-term perspective because from the county's perspective, schools are just one small aspect of all the capital facilities. The other thing that has to be said is in the fiscal impact committee, student generation rates are just one of dozens and dozens of dozens of data factors that we use to get to that capital intensity factor. Population projections of the county, where those populations are going to go, what square footage is going to happen in commercial by area of the county by type. I can go on for a week on the data we collect, and this is one, one piece of tons of data that goes into our equations to come up with capital intensity factor. So we're not trying to decide how many schools are needed. We're just trying to decide how much developers are going to pay us for up zonings. And that is a very, very big difference. So I want to get that on the table. Beth, do you want to pile on that, or do you want to, you want to correct me? No, sir. <laughs> you should run for office. And I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that clarification. Right. That's helpful. So I, I guess my question then would be directed at, at LCPS staff in terms of how we're projecting our numbers. Um, what I'd like to see are forecasts versus actuals for the last 10 years um, to see how accurate our, proce our current processes are. Thank you. Chair, Chair Randall? Um, first of all, uh, Supervisor Bono, that was one of the, the clearest um, explanations I've heard by why, about why we do this differently in many, many meetings in many, many years. So thank you for that. I think that, I think that cleared things up <laughs> pretty well. So thank you for that. I just have a, um, a couple of questions. Um, first of all, if we go to this, goes start from the back port. Um, LCPS meant to project student enrollments in the short term. What does short term mean for you all? How far? How many years out are we talking when we say short term? We project every year in our CIP. Uh, short term is six years. So we project out uh, for every school. Every so it's the grade out year budget. So six, six years, years in the out year budget. Yes, okay, and so then you adjust those as the years come in. Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay, that that makes sense. And um, if we go back under the county, um, under the uh, under county and not school, I just want to make sure I heard you right, Beth. Are are we saying that, be, based on what Mr. Bona said, that we are we are projecting for students, even if those students are not in LCPS, they could be in private school because, again. The capital intensity factor he's talking about is not just for building schools, it's for everything. So that's why the county is doing that for even kids who are not in LCPS versus the school that's doing it for kids who are only in LCPS? So there's a little bit of a nuance in there in that the kids are going to be part of the overall household size. So um, the facilities that would be for anybody in the household rather than a school, um, it's two different things. Uh, but for the schools, I think part of the uh, underlying thought there is you can have different variations that happen over time in terms of you know, economic conditions, in terms of people being in private school versus public school, et cetera. But we don't, we on the county side do not, do or do not calculate them in if, if I mean, do we subtract out kid, the, the number of kids we know are private school or home school? No, we don't. We do not. Okay, that's what, on the county side, we do not, for the reasons Mr. Mona just said. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's, what I was getting, that's what I was getting at. And then um, the last question is, on the school side, are you saying that you project for homes that can be by right even before they are built? You're not saying that, are you? Are you wait to the school? Tell me what we do on, on the school side as far as projecting for by right numbers. Walk me through that one more time. Trying to find the slide. That um, would be, gosh. Oh. So. Well, let me see. I, I, I wrote my note on the slide that says Capital Improvement Program, FY18 to 23rd. But that's I wrote the one. one. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at. So this is an example. We're tracking 
developments in each of the planning districts. So the, you, this slide is an example of what's in the Dulles North Planning District. So you'll see listed on the left there are all the different developments um, and then how many single family detached, single family attached in that first section there are projected to come out of each of those subdivisions. On the, on the columns to the right, you'll see how many students those will generate based on the student generation factor in each of the grade levels, so the elementary, middle, and high. But we do that before we even, I mean, because there could be places sitting for by right that has been entitled, but it, it could be sitting there for 10 years for, before anyone builds on it. Exactly. That's why it's so very complicated. So what the, the very last column on that slide, you'll see there where we have the percent addressed. That is the percentage of the homes that have either been permits pulled, to Mr. Higgins's point earlier, or that have already been built. So we, we are keeping track of how much that subdivision has been built out. You'll see two of those there are 0%. The Grove and the Lim property are, are set at 0% because no houses have been built. So no permits have been pulled yet. Correct. So okay. those are examples of subdivisions that we're watching and keeping track of. And when they start building, then we start intensifying how they would affect the, the uh, projection. So, so at some point after permits are pulled is when you start projecting those by right communities. Uh, yeah, and it's complicated because we're keeping track of the, the uh, cohort survival. So as the, as the cohorts of each grade level uh, increase over time, moving from first grade to second grade, we're watching that ratio of how big, how much they grow, and then we're using these project, these um, uh, student generations as a guide to say, uh, let's say, you know, there's scenarios. There's seven scenarios. One is a one-year average. One is a two-year average. One is a three-year average. So if nothing has happened in the at the area, we may use a four or five-year average. Whereas if growth started building, they started building a lot the year before, then we may use the one-year average, which would help us choose a steeper uh, increase of the number of students. Okay. All right. Thank you. Chairman Morris, you had your light on for a minute? No, my question was answered. Thank you. Okay, great. Uh, I, I want to, if there's no other questions, I want to thank you all um, for this. Give us a chance to maybe, oh, I'm sorry, co-chair. Thanks. Uh, just a quick question, I think. Um, the second to last slide uh, talks about the county projection for uh, FY 2017 to 22, the LCPS projection, and then the uh, number of capacity added, number of students capacity added. So just so make sure I understand it, what you're saying is that the county projection seems to be in line because you're going to take out about 10% from that, and that would be uh, public school educated students. But the LCPS one is um, still about 10% higher than that, right? So we're, we're projecting LCPS that we're going to have uh, 2,000 more students than capacity added in our prior CIP. Is that what that's saying? Um. It, it does appear that way, so that's a very keen observation, and that that is a complicated thing because you'll you recall this is in a certain window of opportunity. So there are some schools that may come online. Uh, as you know, we review the capacity and the, the the growth every year. So if you go through our CIP, we have accounted for those things. There are some times when we're behind, as you'll see. Um, you know, we, we need schools to come online, but in, in in general, our CIP does account for all the schools, all the students that we're projecting to come online. Okay, so have you, um, I know we're about to have our CIP presentation um, after this meeting. Have you projected that same number for uh, the updated school board adopted CIP? I, I don't think that there's, presentation in the current CIP is going to reflect these numbers because this slideshow has been done a number of times over time. This was done before the projections, so I don't think those are current numbers, so I wouldn't want to compare those to tonight's pres presentation. But if we go through uh, planning district by planning district, you'll see that we've accounted for all the students we think are coming online with the schools that are, are coming, uh, school, the students that we know are coming. And we've also added some schools in in a long-range plan for things that we anticipate are coming. And some of those we've designated in certain areas and some of we've got listed as undesignated to make sure that from a planning perspective we have uh, schools in the queue that can accommodate that growth as it, as, it, as it increases in certain areas. Okay. It would be a nice number to have, I think, for next year. But 
uh, we're, we're, we've already passed our CIP for this year, but sure. if, you, if you remember it for next year, it would be a nice number. Thank you. Um, we have a CIP meeting in now nine minutes, so if it's the uh, choice of the committee, I'd like to defer our item on mental health. Not that it's not important, but we're running out of time uh, until our next meeting. And then uh, maybe we can move into the, the last item, which is the calendar, and see how everybody is on that. And uh, if we want to, if we're ready to make an action item out of that, or everybody's not sure. We're moving to that item. We've got dates laid out in there and. February 7th, uh, May 2nd, September 5th, and December 5th. Um, the miracle is that that actually works in my calendar right now. I don't know about <laughs> anybody else. And those things are all subject to change. Is uh, there someone who wants to make a motion to adopt that? I move right. to approve the recommended calendar. Second. Do we have any discussion on the motion? Um, quick discussion point. Um, the part about the budget presentation, um, are we uh, going to have that February meeting the same way or have we made any decision on if the budget presentation would replace the joint committee meeting? I think as far as I know, that's an issue that is tentative. But, it, uh, exactly. Correct. Exactly. That'll be sorted out between the respective chairs. Exactly. Uh, it's, yeah. it's similar to the format you're going to have tonight, and if that just happens to work, then great. Okay, thank you. So, Mr. Chair, Mr. Chairman, Madam Chair, um, uh, Madam, Ch Madam Co-Chair, Mr. Co-Chair, <laughs> uh, basically, um, it hasn't been sorted out yet. It may be, given, given if tonight is an, is an example, it may be that we may have to start this meeting a half an hour only to make sure we get enough time in. But that's, we, we can take a look at that when we, when we get down the road and I will talk to um, Chairman Morris about that as we go forward, okay? Do we have any other discussion? Looks like none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. And uh, anybody that's against that, I think we have a unanimous vote and I uh, appreciate it, we'll, that'll be our schedule for next year. Uh, with that and uh, our six minutes to go, I would ask for a motion to adjourn. So moved. All those in favor? Aye. All right, we're done. Thank you very much. See you in the other room. <laughs>